Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Slerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. And after you've finished this episode, please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using to listen. This is our 100th episode, and to celebrate, we're recapping some of our most popular episodes yet. If you've already listened to these, stick around, because you might learn something you missed before. And if you haven't heard of these, I'd encourage you to go back and download a few. I'll list them in the show notes. To kick things off, we love sharing personal stories from fellow CPAs about struggles they've overcome and how their accounting background has helped them. Earlier this year, I spoke to Helen Sharkey about her experience of being pressured to cross ethical lines at work and how it resulted in an SEC investigation with her ultimately ending up in federal prison. Really what I think people need to understand is that these these dilemmas, these um, things don't just happen overnight. It's a very slow process. And it, it starts with standards and lines being crossed. And once that first line is crossed by the company or your coworker or your boss, once that first line is crossed, then it accelerates the speed of the demise of standards within the company, if, if that makes any sense. It does. What, what would you say was the first line for you? For me, uh, that's a great question. Um, you know, we, when we, when I first got assigned to this transaction, very early on, we were getting a lot of pressure from the bank to do things that really just didn't make logical sense to me. You know, I, I, my background was more on the analytical side and not on the technical side in terms of the EITFs and the FASBs and all of that, but just logical sense, just, you know, very basic accounting 101 things that we were being asked to do or told by the banks that our competitors were doing, and they were specifically talking about Enron, it, it, it made me very uncomfortable. Now, early on on the transaction, we weren't crossing those lines. But after months and months and months of working on this deal, trying to get this deal closed and a tremendous pressure to get it closed, when we went to New York and it was, you know, the 11th hour, that's when lines started getting crossed. People really lost perspective on the big picture and were really focused on getting the deal done come hell or high water. Another personal story we heard is from Beverly Harzog, a credit card expert and consumer finance analyst for U.S. News and World Report. In college, Beverly studied accounting and eventually passed the CPA exam, but still found herself in thousands of dollars of debt from what she attributes to poor spending habits and a lack of personal finance knowledge. I went into accounting, and this was in the 80s, and there weren't as many women in accounting as there are now, so I was competing with a lot of men. And so I used my credit cards to sort of bolster my self-esteem, I guess, uh, you know, 
power suits, power lunches, power shoes. <laughs> I mean, I, I uh, really spent a lot of money to sort of build my self-confidence, and of course that never works. Uh, I just got into debt, and I was still, you know, I would feel confident going into work in a new outfit. Yay, you know, I looked great. I was powerful. But the next day that feeling would be gone. I'd have to start all over. So, you know, I looked at why I was doing this, and when I figured it out, you know, I thought, okay, you know, I just need to be more confident. And so I started working on myself, you know, reading a lot of books and just sort of, you know, getting in touch with myself and my feelings and why I needed to do that and how best to go forward. So I started, you know, studying personal finance. I mean, I went to actual libraries. <laughs> you know, people don't talk about this anymore, but, you know, libraries libraries are a big deal. And I have loved the library since I was a little kid. So it was um, a book person. So it, it made sense for me to go to the library and I read everything I could get my hands on. I learned how to budget. I learned how to track my spending and I started tackling that debt. One night uh, I was at a department store and my favorite credit card got declined. It was a retail card. And when your retail card gets declined, you were in serious trouble with your credit because it's so easy to get a retail card. And so that night, you know, I, you know, I sat down, I faced what I had done, and I thought, okay, this is it. This is the end. I get out of this. I'm making a plan tonight. And that's when I started researching and doing everything and getting out of debt. And I had about 21000 in debt, uh, which, you know, a couple of decades ago, that was a big deal. And I was single. Uh, so, you know, it was just my income. So I, I took a couple of different approaches to this. I, you know, like I said, I studied and started tracking my spending. Um, I got out of debt in two years. Um, I really cut back on personal expenses. Uh, I had this uh, gym membership to a health club that was, it was expensive, and you know I did it to, um, you know, prop myself up. Just uh, you know, look what I have. <laughs> and uh, I thought this is ridiculous. You know, I don't need this, but I do need to exercise because being in debt is stressful. So I downsized that expense, and this is something that I share with consumers a lot. You know, when you're getting out of debt, don't give up everything that you that you love, or you're going to relapse and go out and spend. You know, keep some things, but downsize them. So I just went to a neighborhood gym. I mean, it was like a fraction of the cost I was spending. So I did a lot of things like that. And then I also got a new job. Uh, I got a job at Bell South. Uh, that was a huge promotion for me and a, and a big increase in my uh, salary. So that gave me more money to put towards the debt. So I sacrificed a lot, but still kept a few things I loved and uh, worked hard for two years to get out of debt. Technology will continue to intertwine itself with accounting, and as trusted advisors, CPAs need to continue to stay aware of tech and how it will impact their businesses and clients. Last year, I spoke with Nick Ward, Senior Staff, and Denny Murphy, CPA and Principal, both from Markham, about cryptocurrency and more specifically, Bitcoin. We discussed Bitcoin's mysterious founder, online dark market Silk Road connections, how the pizza company Papa John's plays a pretty significant role, and much more. You know, when we started looking into this, we were intrigued to find that really the earliest attempts at crypto started 30 years ago uh, in the early 80s, um, which really kind of coupled with the start of the Internet as they were developing that. And uh, those developed through the years. In the 90s, there were actually a lot more uh, concrete attempts. There's things called like Cash Cash and B-Money, 
Um, Hashcash is actually referenced in the Bitcoin white paper, uh, which we'll come back to. But all of those attempts had a couple issues, one of which was they were centralized, so there was a company in charge of this new money. Uh, they weren't necessarily backed by anything. Um, in some cases, there was something called BitGold that they tried to back it by um, gold, but again, central company. And then the other aspect of it was it's very easy to copy digital items, right? Like if you have a song on iTunes, you bought a copy of, of an MP3 file. You don't have that only copy somewhere. So with um, all these cryptocurrencies, that was their issue, is that people could easily counterfeit them online. Um, so now fast forward to 2009, you know, Bitcoin gets introduced, and that's really the main problem Bitcoin solved. It's called the double spend problem, is that, if we're transacting with a digital currency, how do I know that what I'm spending isn't a counterfeit? And also, what I'm spending, I'm not spending to give, you know, I'm not paying Jessica a dollar of my cryptocurrency at the same time paying Denny with that same dollar. And right. the network isn't catching up to realize it. Um, so Bitcoin solved that issue with um, its proof of work system and essentially what we now are all calling the blockchain, uh, which records every transaction that ever happens on Bitcoin's network, so therefore you can verify, hey, the Bitcoin I have has been on the network, I can see its history, I can see where it comes from, and I can see you know, the, the private and public keys that give me access to it. And one of the interesting things that Nick had mentioned there was um, he mentioned blockchain and he also mentioned Bitcoin. Um, one of the things as accountants that me and Nick get a lot of questions on is, um, you know, is Bitcoin blockchain, is blockchain Bitcoin? And they're two completely different things, and Nick kind of alluded to this, but uh, Bitcoin is built on the blockchain technology. Um, so, you know, there's a whole different set of um, podcasts that we can get into on, you know, blockchain, but, you know, Bitcoin is built on the blockchain network. So they're, they're not the same, but um, as an aside, you know, blockchain, these companies are stripping this technology of Bitcoin and using it to, you know, the Amazons, the Googles, the Microsofts of the world are taking Bitcoin's technology, the blockchain, and trying to integrate it into their operations. So it's, uh, just wanted to make that distinction so, you know, uh, we're all on the same page because, you know, it is a, a big question that we get, you know, I'm interested in my company using blockchain, but I don't necessarily want to use Bitcoin. Well, you don't have to. That's, um, you know, Bitcoin is separate kind of from the blockchain technology. Speaking of blockchain technology, have you considered how you can use blockchain to add business value? I spoke with Sean Steinsmith, CPA and assistant professor at Lehman College in New York City, who also serves on the advisory board of the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance. We covered the evolution of blockchain, mistakes firms make when it comes to the new technology, and much more. Because the approach that I've seen used at companies is to almost basically offer or to approach it like you're doing a advisory type of engagement, right? And then focus that, focus in, internally. Approach it as you would approach it with a external client, right? Assess the need for blockchain as it currently is out there, right? And there are dozens of, of options out there now that are backed by companies and they are constantly being updated. So assess the need, right? Is there an actual tangible process where, based on our current understanding of of our own processes and our IT team's actually background, is it going to be better? 
and then two, if if you are you know happy or satisfied with the answer that actually yes, if we were able to roll out a blockchain platform, it would help us. Then it all boils down to sort of what options are out there for you, right? Is it a public-based model? Is it a private model? Is it a consortium-based model? And then all of those have pros and and cons that are going to have a different sort of ripple effect on different firms. And then third, after all of that is, you know, assessed, asked, and then answered, what are the actual steps that you have to take? to actually get the blockchain up and running. And then I think more importantly from an audit and a conversation uh, point of view, how do you actually then tie that information back, right, to the financials? And also then have it map into your current ERP systems, right? Because having data on a blockchain is, is excellent, it's fantastic, but if you aren't able to analyze that data to uh, – offer assurance services on it, and then have it ultimately tie back to your other information, it really is not going to add any value to the business. We know our members are ambitious, goal-driven individuals, and we also cover ways to improve your personal and career development. One of our most popular episodes has been about how to ace your next career fair, where I spoke with two accounting students from Ashland University, Cameron Deal and Taylor McFerrin about how to prepare an elevator speech, dealing with nerves, and the value of following up afterward. I would also say when you're at a career fair, don't just like wander around and watch others talk to people because um, the best information you're going to get is talking face-to-face to the company. And it's also going to look best on you from going to each company to a different company instead of wandering around making awkward eye contact with people that you should be talking to. And I think for a lot of people, this might seem scary because it's small talk, talking with strangers, which not everyone is is super great at. What advice would you offer to someone who kind of they take a step into the career fair and they immediately feel overwhelmed? Okay, so I kind of had a little um, a similar situation like my first year. I was really nervous coming into it, but I'm also a server So I kind of told myself to turn on your waitress voice and just say, hi, how are you? And be that um, kind of completely different personality. Like if you're normally inverted, um, just try your best to be um, just more outgoing and introduce yourself. And then normally the company will take over from there. Right. Yeah, I think just getting that confidence and really just kind of getting in there and giving your elevator pitch and then giving your, you know, your resume to the recruiter. That's just the basis of it. And then after that, you know, I feel like it's, it's a lot less stressful because then you get to talk about the company, ask any questions and that's where it's more of a casual conversation. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I think for all of us, you know, like we all have had jobs before, whether we've been to this career fair or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just kind of pulling, you know, how do you behave in the workplace and kind of integrating it into your um, career fair movement and, yeah. you know, just, talking and everything. I think that helps. If if you're asking like how to build your confidence to go up to people, I would definitely just say, um, like I said, turn on your waitress voice. Just think it's a completely different scenario and something that you have to do. Another crucial aspect to consider when you're thinking about your career long-term is your brand. What does it say about you? We'll hear from Lori Kaiser, CPA, CEO, and founder of Kaiser Consulting, 
about building your brand, how doing it the right way can help establish executive presence, and how to reach the next step in your career. I believe that your personal brand is your reputation and what makes people say, I want her on my team. Um, it's made up of your talents and your interests and your skill sets and also the people that you serve. You know, what can you do for them? How can you provide them value? Um, it's basically what makes you different from every other person in the room, your stand up and shine factor. So when pe people first started talking about personal brand about 10 years ago, I really kind of thought it was a hokey concept. I was like, why do people need a personal brand? Don't you just show up at work and do your best job and then that's it? Um, but that was really kind of an old school attitude and that was sort of the pre-internet, pre-social media um, attitude. I also believe that having a personal brand promotes efficiencies. And as an accountant, I'm all about efficiencies. Because if people don't know what your brand is, they don't know you, and they don't know what opportunities they should send your way. And I'm all about everybody reaching their full potential, especially women. We also live in a world of social media and branding and constant messaging. So everybody has a brand, and you just need to decide if you want to control the messaging on your brand or let someone else do it for you because it really matters. What would you like to hear covered in our future episodes? Let me know at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O, at ohiocpa.com. Please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using. We love to hear your feedback. And from everyone at the Ohio Society of CPAs, thank you for listening to our podcast. We're looking forward to the next 100 episodes.